Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. The book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 18. The book of 2 Samuel in chapter number 18. We are now at a place at the very end of Absalom's rebellion. We're reaching the fever pitch. We're reaching the climax of this whole event. This terrible tragedy within the life of David. Of course, we could trace this understanding that the book of 2 Samuel is a book of consequences. And it should be a warning to all of us that there's consequences for all of our sins. And actions that we didn't think would have traumatic events. Uh, consequences do have traumatic consequences, that everything always has a result. And that we start off with David's sin with Bathsheba. One night in sin, one night that he thought would be over and done with has lasted drastic events that it found out that Bathsheba was expecting. When it found out Bathsheba was expecting that David tried to cover it up, the cover up failed and it led to the murder of Uriah. David lived with this for nine months. Finally, the baby was born and he was confronted by Nathan the prophet who stuck his bony finger in front of the king's face and said, thou art the man. Now, the one thing about David is that he was a good repenter. That every time that God pointed out that he was wrong, David was quick to get right. And we can have the writing of Psalm 51, which shows David's heart, him getting right with God, his prayer. However, because there's always consequences for sin, he was forgiven of a sin, but it does not erase the consequences. There was a fourfold judgment that was now listed. And because Uriah died, there was going to be four deaths within God. David's family, as well as the sword never being removed from his family. The very first death was the death of the child with David and Bathsheba. As time went on, a tragic event happened with the rape of Tamar, one of David's daughters, by one of David's sons. That led to the death of Amnon. Now, uh, with this, Absalom rose to prominence. Then Absalom rebelled against David, and David refused to punish uh, Absalom. He refused to do anything when he murdered his brother. He refused to do anything after Absalom threw fit. And for years, David did nothing. And he raised a rebel and he set up a rebellion. We also see that Hippothel was also caught up in this, that Hippothel was was Bathsheba's grandfather who was looking for opportunities and he was the one who orchestrated and mastermind uh, Absalom's rebellion, which is going to lead us to finally this event here, the death of Absalom. And we find this recorded in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 18. The book of 2 Samuel chapter 18. And if you don't mind, let's pick it up in verse number one. The book of 2 Samuel chapter 18 and notice with me verse one. And David numbered the people that were with him and set captains over thousands and captains over hundreds over them. And David set forth 
a third of the part of the people under the hand of Joab, and a third part under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zerah, Joab's brother, and a third part under the hand of Ittah, the Gittite. And the king said unto the people, I will surely go forth with you myself also. But the people answered, Thou shalt not go forth, for if we flee away, they will not care for us. Neither if half of us die, will they care for us. But now thou art worth 10,000 of us. Therefore now it is better that thou secure us out of the city. And the king said unto them, Whatsoever seemeth what seemeth you best, I will do. And the king stood by the gate side, and all the people came out by hundreds and by thousands. And the king commanded Joab and Abishai and Ittah, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard the king had given the uh, captain's charge concerning Absalom. So the people went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was in the wood of Ephraim, where the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David, and there was a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men. For the battle was scattered over the face of the country, and the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. And Absalom met the servants of David, and Absalom rode under a mule, and the mule under the thick boughs of a great oak, and his head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between heaven and earth, and the mule that was under him went away. And a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. And Joab said unto the man that told him, Behold, thou sawest him. Why didst thou not spite him there to the ground? I would have given thee ten shekels of silver and a girdle. And the man said unto Joab, Though I should receive a thousand shekels of silver in mine hand, yet would I not put forth my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king charged thee in Abishai and Ittah, saying, Beware that none touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise I should have wrought falsehood against mine own life. For there is no matter hid from the king, and thou thyself would have set thyself against me. Then Joab said, I may not tarry thus with thee. And he took three darts in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men that bear Joab's armor compassed about and smote Absalom and slew him. And Joab blew the trumpet and the people returned from pursuing after Israel. And Joab helped back the people. And they took Absalom and cast him into a very... Uh, to a great pit in the wood and laid a great heap of stones upon him and all of Israel fled into his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up for himself a pillar that is in the king's dale for he said I have no son to keep my name in remembrance and he called the pillar after his own name and it is called this day Absalom's place. And if you don't mind as we go through here we'll see quite simply Joab kills Absalom. Joab kills Absalom. And this is going to have ramifications in the future as well. But we can see the event that occurs that Joab kills Absalom. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. 
And as we come up to you, Lord, I'm very conscious of my physical inability today, that my throat is still going in and out. I'm asking that you would guard it, that you would strengthen it, that you would do above and beyond what I'm able to do, that I can trust you with your precious Holy Spirit to take my body and to use it the way that you see fit. I'm asking that you would organize my mind and organize my thoughts, that we could go through this tragic event, this event that is a a combination of consequences that have occurred and yet still that we could come through this hopeful people because you are a God that gives us great hope. Lord, again, fill me with your spirit that you could get accomplished exactly what needs to be done. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, David and his men have run for a while. Now they've had time to reorganize their troops, to gather up everyone together, to organize themselves in a counteroffensive. And now it is time between David's men and Absalom's forces. As we start off, we could see uh, this organization and we could see this. David's clear instructions dealing with Absalom. David's clear instructions dealing with Absalom. Now, David, of course, is a man of war. He understands the principle here that there's not, his army should not be a gaggle, but it is an organized force. Notice with me in verse 1. And David numbered the people that were with him and set captains over the thousands and captains over the hundreds over them. So we can see that David is organizing his efforts to make sure that everyone has a responsibility. Everyone has a job that no one is going to be left out, that things will be organized in a clear way. And then David set up a third of the people and he put Joab in charge of a third. Then he set up another third and put Abishai in charge of a third. And then he put Ittai and put them in charge of a third. And had these three generals now who were going to be leading this army that was organized into thousands and hundreds to organize our eff- their efforts to make sure that the battle would be won. And an organized army is going to defeat a gaggle that's going to be fighting against them. And then, notice this, that David wanted to go with them. And the end of verse number 2, And the king said to the people, I will surely go forth with you myself also. And the people answered, Thou shalt not go forth. And they go and explain that says, You're the key to this. No one cares if we die. We're no-named people. We're nobody. But you're the main thing. If they kill you, they win. And so I want you to understand this principle here that the people understood. That there were two keys to this offensive. David and Absalom. You take Absalom out of play, there's no more rebellion. You take David out of play, the rebellion wins. That is quite simple who it is. One of these two men must be captured and or killed for it to go. It is one or the other. And so the men, the people say, David, no, you can't go out. You're the main uh, thing in here. If you die this all falls apart. If Absalom dies, it all falls apart. This rebellion doesn't keep going. And so this is the two keys here. Absalom and David. And so David, we're not going to risk you. Yes, you're a great warrior, but we can't risk you. If you die, it's all for naught. Let us do our job. You stay in the background. You stay back. We have to do the fighting. 
So David goes in front of everyone. You can imagine just a little ceremony as David is announcing his generals. Here is Joab. Here is Abishai. Here is Ittai. Now boys, I want to let you know that you need to fight and you need to win. We've organized the army. But one last thing. Deal gently with Absalom for my sake. And he said it publicly. Everyone heard him give the instructions. Now he's not speaking to the crowd. He's speaking to these three. Looking at him eyeball to eyeball. Joab, don't kill Absalom. Abishai, don't kill Absalom. Ittai, don't kill Absalom. Very clear instructions. Everyone heard David say, deal with him gently. Don't kill him. All right, let's see if we could work things out. Don't do it. And so this was public. All of the army heard. All of the troops heard this. Everyone heard David give this clear instructions. And so they go out. Verse 6. So the people went out into the field against Israel. And the battle was in the wood of Ephraim. And the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David. And there came a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men. If we stop there, we say, well, look and see what David's army has done. And yes, there is a principle of an organized army. But notice it's not just David's army. It's God that's fighting with him. Verse 8, for the battle was scattered all over the face of the country. And the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. What we could see is that God is actually fighting in the midst of this. That they're fighting in the midst of the woods. And in the midst of the woods, the forest is killing them. Whether it's animals, whether it's trees. Even Absalom himself is going to be caught by the trees. We could see that God is able to do these things. As they're fighting in the forest, we know that each um, battleground has its unique properties, whether it's hills and someone's advancing up a hill and don't shoot until you see the whites of their eyes. Different battlegrounds have different things. Forest has its own different things as you can't see around you. And if you're not paying attention and what's happening, someone's riding on a horse, riding on a mule. They're not paying attention to what they're doing and someone slaps them in the face with a branch and now they're out of the battle. Uh, something happens where a horse trips in the mist, it trips over a branch, breaks the leg and falls over. And we could see 20,000 people have died and more of them have died just by traveling in the forest than what has died because of someone killing them in the sword. And again, this is God being involved, God doing things. And again, that's something you'll have to check out the DVD when you get up to the millennial kingdom in heaven, just to kind of see all the different things that occur there, all, all the different deaths and all the different things that occurred in this forest. The Bible doesn't take time, but just to say that more people died because of the forest itself than what died in actual battle. But then... Absalom himself got caught. Notice with me, as we now go from David's clear instructions dealing with Absalom, then we can see Joab disobeys the instructions dealing with Absalom. So Joab disobeys these instructions. Notice with me in verse number nine. And Absalom met the servants of David, and Absalom rode upon a mule, and the mule was under a thick bough of a great oak, and his head was caught a hold in the oak, and was taken up between heaven and earth, and the mule went, um, <clears throat> and the mule that was under him went away. So remember, we already learned some things about Absalom. Is that Absalom had a big head of hair? 
So much that every year he would pull it up and weigh it, how much his hair weighed. He was so proud of that hair. Oh, look at my great hair. You can almost see that he traveled everywhere and had a fan blowing on his face and had the, had his, the wind blowing his hair back. And he would shake it in slow motion. and He just loved his hair. Wouldn't you know that was his downfall? The thing of his greatest source of pride. He's riding on a mule, got started to ride. I think I could get enough clearance. And his hair got caught in an oak tree. And the Bible gives the description that he's hanging between heaven and earth. And the mule walked on. An old preacher of yesteryear preached a message the day that God hung a hippie. But his hair's all caught in the tree. He can't get down. His legs are now <laughs> squirming up in the air. His hands, he can't get it. His hair's all caught up. And he's stuck and he can't get down. This oak tree holds him fast. Well, one of David's servants walking by and can you imagine that sight looking around the corner and there's Absalom. He's stuck. And he's just kicking his legs and get me down and help and yelling and doing everything he can and he can't get out of the tree. So Joab gets message from the servant and says, hey, there's Absalom. He's hanging from a tree. His hair's all tangled up in the mess. Uh, he's just stuck. And Joab says, why didn't you kill him? What? Notice again as the discussion goes on in verse number 11. And Joab said unto the uh, verse 10, and a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. And Joab said to the men that told him, behold, thou sawest him why didn't thou smite him there to the ground? I would have given thee 10 shekels of silver and a girdle. Joab says, why didn't you kill him? And he says, I would have paid you for killing him. He says, nah, uh You can almost imagine in that guy's mind saying, nah, no. He says, you remember the guy who came up and told David, hey, I killed Saul and Jonathan. And he lied to him. You know what David did? He killed him. Then you had the guys who chopped off the head of Ishbosheth and said, look, we killed this guy. You know what happened to them? David killed them. He says, nah, -uh, you couldn't pay me a million dollars. He said, you know what would happen is that the king would find out. And when the king found out that I killed Absalom, he would say, Joab, kill him. And he says, I don't want you to kill me. Uh, no way you're going to pay me enough to touch him. Fine, I'll do it myself. So Joab goes. Now, again, Joab understands the principle. The only way this thing ends is if David dies or Absalom dies. If Absalom is freed, if Absalom is brought and captured, there's a good chance that Absalom would raise a rebellion again. So Joab understands military. Joab understands that in order to win this offensive, Absalom must be taken off the field, must be gone. There's no way Absalom could cause a rebellion if he's dead. So Joab is looking as a military sense. And he disobeys David's orders. He takes three darts and puts them in the heart. Easy target. Absalom's kicking his leg saying, Joab, don't you do it. Don't you do it. And Joab puts three hearts, uh, darts right into his heart. And then what happens, Joab's armor bearers, 10 young men pull Absalom down and begin to kick him and beat him until he's make sure he's dead. Then they throw him in a great pit. Absalom's dead. 
The whole thing's over. Joab blows the trumpet, lets everyone know that the battle is over. This long period, this dark time in David's life, it's all over. It's all done with. And Joab says, I'll take the blame. I'll kill him. I did what needed to be done. So what do you think is going to happen when David hears about this? Do you think David is going to repay them? Notice what happens at the end of chapter 18 in verse number 33. And we come to a third thing here. That Joab reproached David concerning Absalom. David, or Joab reproached David concerning Absalom. Verse number 33, uh, 2 Samuel 18, 33. And the king was much moved and went to the chamber of the gate and wept. And as he went, thus he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, why would God... Would God that I died for thee, Absalom, my son, my son. And it was told Joab, behold, the king weepeth in mourning for Absalom. And the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people. For the people heard say that day how the king was grieved for his son. And the people got them by stealth that day into the city. And the people being ashamed steal away when they flee into battle. But the king covered his face and the king cried out with a loud voice, My son Absalom, Absalom, my son, my son. So what happened is that this was a day of victory. Remember, many people were displaced. A lot, thousands of people had fled away. I mean, if you have an army of thousands of people, that means thousands of people fled away. All these people had fled away during this time. A lot of people are affected because of Absalom's rebellion. And now that David hears that we won, Absalom has taken off the battle, the kingdom is restored, the king is doing nothing but crying. And he's not crying privately, he's making a big show. Absalom, Absalom, my son, Absalom. Oh, Absalom, Absalom. And he's making it so people are upset. I mean, we won a great victory, but no one could enjoy it. Now they feel ashamed and they don't know what to do. This whole day of victory is turned around just because David is carrying around. It's almost to the idea of a lady who's a victim of domestic abuse calls the police and then the police begin to haul the guy to jail and she's like, no, he's my husband. I love him. I love him. And she turns around and you're like, but you called the police. You're the one who called this. It doesn't make sense, this reaction. You won. And Absalom is making a big fit and making a big show. Now, we understand it's his son. He should be upset. But he's making such a big show that finally Joab comes up and rebukes him. Notice if you don't mind in verse 5. And Joab came to the house and to the king and said, Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants, which this day have saved thy life and the life of thy sons and of thy daughters and the lives of thy wolves and the lives of thy concubines. Joab says, listen, snap out of this. We saved your life. We save the lives of your kids. We save the life of your wives. We have fought the battle for you. We have helped you out. Joab uh, said, you, don't, you have more than one son. These kids are alive because Absalom is dead. These people over here are freed because Absalom is gone. 
We have helped you out. These people have risked their lives to help you out. And you're more worried about your loss than the people who have gone out of their way to help you out. That's not right. You have shamed them. Verse number six. In that thou lovest thine enemies and hated thy friends. For thou hast declared this day that thou regrettest regardest neither princes nor servants. For this day I perceive that if Absalom lived and that we had all died this day, it would have pleased thee well. He says the way that you're acting, that it sounds like you wished Absalom won and we all died. We've helped you out. We've done all of this work and yet you're making it sound like we're the bad guys in this. We've helped you out and you're not appreciative of it. He says, David, this isn't how you should react. Notice as he goes on and gives a warning, verse 6, 7. Now therefore arise and go and speak comfortably unto thy servants. For I swear by the Lord, if thou go not forth, there will not tarry one with thee this night. And there will be worse for thee than all the evil that befell thee now from thy youth unto now. Now Joab says, listen here, mark my words. If you don't go up and thank people for helping you out, they won't help you ever again. You know, you can only abuse people for such a time before they stop helping you. These people gave their lives, willing to give their lives to help David. And yet David is shaming them because Absalom is dead. And Joab's warning them that no one's going to want to help you ever again if this is how you treat them out. If this is how you treat them, they're never going to want to help you again. You go up there and you put a smile on your face and you thank everyone for helping you out and you tell them good job and you make sure that they know that you appreciate what they did for you. So David listens to his counsel, wise counsel. Verse number eight. Then the king arose and sat in the gate and they told all the people, behold, the king doth sit in the gate and the people came before the king for Israel fled every man to his tent and all the people were at strife throughout the tribes of Israel, saying, The king has saved us out of the hands of the enemies, and he delivered us out of the hands of the Philistines, and now he has fled out of the land for Absalom. And Absalom, whom we anointed over us, is dead in battle. Now therefore, why speak ye not a word of bringing the king back? And again, they wanted the king to go back to Jerusalem. The king goes and appreciates it, and they make a big deal out of this. Now, we could see here that David is not responding well. People have helped him out. And yes, Absalom died. And let me tell you, this whole situation is bad. And it was bad from the very beginning. Con sin always makes things complicated. We understand that this is in part because of David's sin. But it is also because David refused to discipline and punish Absalom. And Absalom was raised to be a rebel. He was raised that way. And so it was no surprise that he rebelled. And because he rebelled, there's going to be consequences. You can't stop consequences from coming from a rebel. It's going to happen. The problem is now is that David is weeping over the rebel that he raised because consequences are befalling him. And everyone that tried to help David, everyone that comforted David, everyone that stepped up to help David during those times, he wasn't appreciative of it. And he needed to respond. You say, well, right now there doesn't sound like there's much comfort. You got David who's crying. You got everything up here. But now I want to show you a principle. Why was it that David is so upset? Why was it that he told, David told the generals not 
to kill Absalom to deal with him gently. Here's the principle. As long as there's life, there is hope. As long as there's life, there is hope. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us that there's more hope in a sick dog than a dead lion. So if you had a sick dog, I'm in a magey mutt. I'm in a mutt that's, you know, that's puking out green stuff. And it's sick and it's skinny and it can't eat. There's more hope in that than a dead lion. The lion may look majestic, but if there's no life in it, there's nothing that can be done with that lion. That magey mutt can get fixed. That magey mutt can get healed. There is hope. There is still a slimmer of hope. That's what David was looking for. As long as Absalom was alive, there was hope that he would turn from his ways. As long as Absalom was alive, there was still hope that he could get fixed. As long as there was, he was alive, as long as there was breath, it doesn't matter how slim it was, there was still hope. We as Christians should be hopeful people. Because as long as people are alive, we can trust that God can do a work. One of the greatest examples in the New Testament is the prodigal son. You remember that story? The prodigal son. This man who went to his dad and said, Dad, I know you're not dead yet, but I want my inheritance now. And the dad gave him his inheritance. He took the inheritance, even though his dad wasn't dead. And he went to the city and lived it on what the Bible called riotous living. The word riotous carries the idea of disorder, chaotic. It carries the idea of rebellious. He went and he wasted his money. He didn't invest it. He didn't get a job. He partied it out. He used it to let everyone see how great he was. Everyone was his friend as long as he had the money. But that money didn't last. If you don't have a job, you don't have anyone to replace it, that money goes away. And so now here's a man who didn't have any money and all of his friends went away with it. Nobody wanted to pay attention to him. Nobody wanted, he didn't have a job. Now he had to try to find a job, but no one would give him a job because he had wasted his life. Nobody wanted the scars that was there. Nobody wanted to have this as their model employee. So next thing you know, he finally found a job and it was a pig farm. And this is a big deal because the Hebrew people, to them, they are told that that pigs, hogs, are unclean animals and they're not to be touched. And yet, the only job he could find is to go feed these unclean animals for Gentile people because the Hebrews couldn't have them. They were for Gentile people. And the pigs were eating better than him. He came to the place where he looked down and said, oh, these pigs are eating better than I could if I could just take this kernel of corn. If I could just pick up from the slop and eat there. That's how desperate he was. Is that he was actually contemplating eating the pig slop. Because he was so hungry. And he finally the Bible says this wonderful phrase. He came to himself. He got to the place where he looked and said. You know what? I've wasted my life. I was wrong. I got a parents at home. Who loved me. I'll go back home. You know, that's what we're hoping for when we have children who rebel. That's what we're hoping for, for family members who are away from the Lord. That we look at them and say, there's no way they will come to themselves on their own. 
But we can trust that there's a God who knows what he's doing. And as long as they're alive, we have hope that God is working with them. That God is moving with them. You can look at him and say, there's no way. But that's why we have a God who's able to do such things. Sometimes that's the hope we have. Now, we don't have the promise of it, but we do have the hope of it. The confident expectation that God will do something. That God will answer prayers. That God will deliver them home. And as long as they're alive, there is hope. That's what we have to cling to. We as Christians need to be a hopeful people. That's what David's big thing was. As long as Absalom was alive, there was hope that he could be turned. Hope that he would come to himself. Hope that he would be restored to God. As long as people are alive, there is hope. I understand during the time they're breaking our hearts. During the time we look at them and we're so heavy and so burdened. But God is able to do something. That's what we can trust in. That God is always at work. That God is working their life. Sometimes they have to hit rock bottom. Sometimes we have to let them hit rock bottom. But as long as there's life, there is hope. And that hope is that they come to themselves. That they realize it's my fault. That's part of their problem is they blame everyone else. They look at everyone else and say, you're the reason why I can't succeed. You're the reason why I can't get a job. You're the reason why I don't have any money anymore. Because the way that you raised me, I'm the way that I am. And they blame everyone else. When they come to themselves, they realize it's me. I'm the problem. I need help. I need help. I don't know where to get it from. That's the greatest place for them to be. Because that's when God says, here, I'll help you. And they could come to themselves. Again, not a very comforting scenario because we're looking at a rebel that was raised that way. And because he was raised that way, led to a rebellion that broke his daddy's heart and affected the lives of so many people. But the great hope that they all had was that he was going to come to himself one day and that God would turn his heart. It doesn't erase the consequences but that if he could come back to God, God can help him. Many of you I know have a burden that's deep. When I preach on this, when I say an Absalom, you see a face. Maybe it's a child. Maybe it's a loved one. For me, it's my mother. And you look and say, I don't know how it's going to change. I don't know how it's going to get fixed. But we have a God who's able to do something and we can trust him. And I want to tell you, don't give up hope as long as there's alive, as long as there's breath, as long as they are alive, there is hope. And we as Christians should be a hopeful people, not a defeated people, not a type of person that says, oh, I just have to wash my hands of them. No, we understand there's practical things that we can do and that we should not do. But our hope is that they will get restored. Our hope is that one day they'll come back. One day we'll get to show them the love of Christ. One day they'll listen. One day they'll get fixed. We as Christians should be a hopeful people. And our hope is not in them. Our hope is in the Lord. 
where you can't trust a person, you can trust God. That helps us out because we can look at a person and say, we can't trust them, but we can trust God and be a hopeful people because of our great God. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.